Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. Before I start the show, I'm going to pop open this can of beer I got at 7-Eleven. Ha ha ha, this is beer, it's liquid death water, and it's gonna murder your thirst. Wow, this isn't beer, it's the best tasting water I've ever had. I believe it's mountain water from the Alps. And I'll be goddamned if it didn't murder my fucking thirst. I think I can finally be one of the cool kids by drinking liquid death right out of this super cool looking can. You can get your own liquid death can water at 7-Eleven and Whole Foods. Oh, you live in a shithole town without 7-Eleven or Whole Food, you say? Well, head over to liquiddeath.com and get free shipping on two cases of water and all their wonderful merch. Not only that, but you can get two devilishly cool koozies with your order by using the promo code Scott Curtis. That's all one word, Scott Curtis. By the way, they donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to kill plastic pollution. I'd love to see my BTB buddies enjoying a can of Death. So tag me in your Instagrams, Twitters, Facebooks, TikToks, Yoohoo's, or whatever you kids are doing these days. And maybe you'll get a surprise comedy album from one of my guests. It's Liquid Death and It Murdered My Thirst, by golly. I've got a uh, comedian from the Indianapolis area that is um, a regular on the Bob and Tom show and works for the Bob and Tom show. And you've seen him all over the country and all over the Midwest, um, uh, Wiley's, he does Wiley's Comedy Club, uh, he does uh, clubs there in Indy and stuff like that. I think he's hilarious, and I was reminded of how hilarious he is by the uh, failed to mention news segment that he's doing on Bob and Tom now. And let's just bring him out, it's uh, Jeff Oske. Hey Jeff. Hello, I'm telling my, I'm texting my girlfriend to kill the air conditioner in oh. the garage, and it kicked on right as a, <laughs> right as you were introducing me. Um, uh, so I'm sorry, it'll be off soon. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's cool. I uh, sound quality, I really don't care about because I can hear my voice bouncing just all over this room right now. So whatever. <laughs> okay. Thanks for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited about this. Yeah, I told I, I told you before that I'm uh, I've uh, in my hiatus. I listened back to some of my episodes, and aside from hating my voice, uh, I noticed that I was a little bit too stiff. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try to be a little bit more funky. I'm gonna try to be like I am on my talk show and just uh, be funky and fresh and fun. Good. And so I'm gonna try that a little bit. And uh, I pr I probably won't succeed, but I'm gonna go ahead and try anyway. <laughs> Um, so you've been doing comedy for a long time. Uh, you you start. I, so I, I did the whole internet uh, um, stalking of you. You started. Did you start when you were thirty? 
yeah so i'm uh i'll be 48 next month so mm. i've been doing it for like 18 years yeah and congrats on the beard by the way i know what thank you i know what type of uh uh effort it takes to do that and uh, yeah it takes zero which is why i have it that's why I... <laughs> well you have to deal with it in in its awkward stages yeah i uh i've always had you know, the opinion that the less of my face you can see, the better off I am. So I've always had a beard. Or uh, I think ba there's probably something back in the 90s of me and a goatee. And, yeah. Uh, I don't know why I said it like that. But <laughs> and a goatee. <laughs> hey, Jeff Dwoskin, th thanks for being my number one fan. Thanks for popping in. Hey, um, what a great name. Yeah, he's he's a Michigan comic and uh, he has a great podcast called Live from Detroit, the uh, Jeff Dwoskin show. So there you go. Free plug, Jeff. And uh, I'll just I'll leave it on the audio. I won't even cut it. Um, so I <laughs> so I, I I've looked at the stages of your beard while stalking you. And uh, I the but the first clip I found of you was posted 13 years ago and it's called Jeff Oske versus hecklers. Uh, and <laughs> which, uh, which is funny. Cause I, uh, that was like at an open mic and it was from like two years prior to that. And it was take, it was put up. I didn't even put it up. Uh, uh -huh. guy who I worked with his girlfriend at a bar, uh, they, uh, he put it up. Uh, and uh like i don't think it's that good so well, i yeah i can't get I the can't funny get thing is down. yeah the funny thing is is there was the impetus of the joke that you put on your uh album though um uh dream killer the um uh dog dog uh, biscuit store the three dogs oh the yeah. dog bakery yeah the dog bakery yeah 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 i i because i, I listen to your album too and the uh oh, that that uh that joke uh you started uh it must have had its beginnings there during that the those open mic sessions so uh it's always neat to see the stuff that you do early that lives on with you and comes back many years later and is still good and strong and that was one of those jokes where i couldn't get it to work Mm. and at the time and then you know one night like four or five years later i was going through like old you know books like if i couldn't think of something to write back when i used to write way more uh back when i was single <laughs> <laughs> um back then i uh would try to write every night and i wasn't writing for bob and tom then so uh -huh. i was just writing for my act and if i couldn't think of anything to write about i would go through my old notebooks and see if i could find an old one i couldn't make work and rewrite it and see if i could get it to work uh -huh. and uh yeah so that uh yeah that came back i ended up make being able to make it work later on yeah it, it, it really hit comic it hit on the album i felt like it hit on the open mic too even though you were being um totally taken out of your game by uh people just chatting and uh <laughs> yeah that was one of those that like i was uh probably 
back then I used to go to the, they would let me up at every Tuesday at the open mic. So mm-hmm. I went every Tuesday and then I usually was like towards the end. Yeah. And like, I think there was one person left after me and we were like 14 or 15 comics in mm-hmm. and these people have been talking like their person went first mm-hmm. and then they talked the through like 12 comics. So yeah. by the time I got up there, I already hated those people. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and it had pissed me off because they screwed up a bunch of people's routines because it threw them off and, um why the club management didn't do shit about it i don't know but (laughs) it was very i found it very frustrating which is why i kind of went off after as soon as they said like they probably didn't had you heard the hour and a half before you'd be like oh yeah those bitches deserved it if you just heard that part you're like well that seems really extreme for the first time they said something and it's like oh yeah but i i i I enjoyed the clip i'm glad it's out there so starting (laughs) when you're 30 what what was it that drew you to comedy you know 30 is considered later in life for comedians because most of them start when they're 12 you know um so so what was it that drew you to comedy when you were a little bit older um well i (laughs) So I was like at like a super low point uh, around that time. And I had gotten a bar, a job working at a bar and I made sandwiches in the back and Mm -hmm. the guy who owned the bar happened to had owned all the comedy clubs in town back in the boom of comedy. Mm -hmm. And he would wash dishes. That's like, 60 some year old man would come and wash dishes on lunch and i would work the sandwich station next to him and he would tell me all these great stories about you know tim allen and brad garrett and um oh who else there were uh just all of them i mean uh dennis wolfberg uh-huh. uh you know louis anderson you know drew carey used to drive over to his club for like $15 an MC spot. Uh-huh. And you know, he would tell all these great stories and I had always loved stand up like my entire life, but I you know, I was insecure. I was like, "No, nah, I can't can't go and be a stand up comedian. Like that's stupid. Like people <laughs> don't go and do that." And he would just for, you know, tell these stories and they were great and uh Finally, one day I was just like, I went down into the basement, like I, and he he liked me and I liked him and I would always make him laugh. I thought. And, uh, so one day he was down doing his paperwork. I I went down. His name's Chick Perrin, by the way. I don't know why I didn't say his name, Uh but he used to own all the comedy clubs in Indianapolis back in the day. Uh And, uh, you know, all the famous people slept on his couches and, you know, he has great stories about just stuff that like probably comics wouldn't want out, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like kind of thing. And, uh, he always joked about, you know, back in the day, it was like, do you, do you want to be paid in white or green like, uh-huh. oh, or half and half kind yeah. of thing? And, uh, back in those days, comedy yeah. days. And so I went down, I was like, Hey, I think I'm going to, 
try stand-up comedy and he's like well you have all the fucking hang-ups of a comic <laughs> like you know you have to like write jokes right and i was like yeah and early oh i left an important part out earlier on i was like i always wanted to be a comedy write jokes for people uh -huh. like how do i do that and he goes well nobody's gonna buy any fucking jokes from you until you're a stand-up comedian yeah because you're nobody so why would they just buy jokes from a nobody <laughs> like they have to watch your act and think that you're funny and then they will let you write for them yeah and so that's kind of like oh okay well i'll do stand-up so i can become a comedy writer <laughs> which and is horrible i was, hor I was horrible I'm yeah. still not good, but I was way horrible for like the first. I'm just not comfortable on stage. I'm not likable. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm a good writer, but I don't. Um, like I'm not memorable. I'm just another. Oh, really? you know, after, afterwards, they're like, hey, you were funny. And it's like, what's my name? And they're like, I have no fucking clue. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, that's funny because I, I see you as more memorable than some others. And. I don't know if, do you ever get called a comedian's comedian? Not to my face. Okay, because you're, you know, I, you know how comedians are with other comedians. The, if, oh, yeah. If, if they think you're funny, they might raise an eyebrow because they've heard everything before. Whereas with you, I LOL. And I, you know, I, and it's, it's kind of hard to make me LOL. So oh, nice. I, so I thought, <laughs> I thought it was, um, you know, they call it playing to the back of the room or whatever. Um, but I felt like that you, you kind of were in tune with what other comics think and like. So I, th that, that's what I saw. And that's what I heard in your album too, because um, I, I do, I do sense that uncomfortable, uh, persona on stage. I, you know, I can sense you being uncomfortable, but I think that's, I think that's actually good. Um, and that's part of your, you know, I'm going to use all the cliches. The, that's part of your comedy voice. And okay. so, so I think I, I really, really enjoy it. Well, thanks man. I appreciate that. And I like your style because you're just never in a hurry. You, 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 you say it, um, you enunciate, I, I can, we both talked about being deaf before we got on and, you know, if a comedian doesn't enunciate, even if I'm in the front row, I don't know what the hell they're saying. If I got my hearing aids turned completely up, I don't know what they're saying. And I miss a lot of stuff, but with you, I got all of it and I didn't have to turn my car stereo all the way up. So, uh, speaking of that, uh, I'm sure, you know, uh, Brent Terhune, correct? Yeah, yeah, he did the show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, me and Brent, we had a uh, we had a charity benefit we did two weeks ago at a movie theater, and the the uh, they're like, "Do you guys need a sound check?" I'm like, "Why would I need a sound check? Like, it's a two p.m. on a Sunday comedy show, and uh -huh. like, just I need a microphone that has sound that you can hear. It's a movie theater. You guys have the best speakers ever. Yeah. We'll be fine." And then we got there, and they ran us through the PA speakers. Oh. It was the worst. No one could understand a word I was saying. Uh -huh. I tried I tried just putting down the microphone, 
yeah and like talking really loud and that went horrible just it was uh yeah no one knew so they wasn't i wasn't enunciating too well that day yeah no doubt they were using the speakers that they use when there's like a tornado or something exactly exactly (laughs) that never get turned on and are never they weren't using the imax speakers yeah put it that way like they were saving those for the movies oh man well every comedian has to go through shitty sounds so i can definitely relate to that so it's so funny though because you know after a while you're like oh i'm you know i've been in the game for a while like i i you know after a while you aren't doing that many shit gigs like yeah. you're doing just like the gigs you want and pretty nice decent gigs and then you you're like oh yeah i'll go and help raise money for the humane society and it's like i think i ruined comedy for everyone <laughs> that day like <laughs> i think i like no one they're never gonna raise money with a comedy show ever again at the humane society in that town <laughs> like they better have a band next time because no <laughs> one's coming oh man oh yeah i i did i did a gig for the humane society in south bend yeah oh, nice. yeah it was uh it was it was a combination of music and comedy yeah that that's been a few years ago but yeah i, I did one of those too and it was uh it, it was a decent mic too so i i I'm nice. sorry <laughs> yeah, i mean it that. was no fault of the humane society <laughs> or the people that put it on it was just one of those situations that you know yeah. it is what it is and the people paid i mean they got their money yeah <laughs> yeah didn't get a good show yeah for their money <laughs> So how did those first few open mics go for you? Oh, horrible. Like Uh I, I was very like hold a paper up and read it word for word Uh and shaking. And I think up until, I mean, it's probably took me four or five years before I even got to MC at like my home club. Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't, I wasn't good. Like I threw up a lot. Uh Um, before shows and i also used to think like when i first started i'd try to be way more edgy like uh-huh. you know way i don't know i i wouldn't say like doug as far i wouldn't say i went as far as like a doug stanhope but i was tr- trying to be clever and trying to be edgy and like not clean and like finally i was like i want to MC, and they're like yeah, you can't MC with fucking pit bulls chewing on babies. Yeah. Like you have to like, <laughs> you have to. So then I was like, okay, so I'm going to write 15 clean minutes that are fairly like funny enough. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the other thing you don't realize when you start MCing is, or not MCing, but open micing is the stuff that makes an open mic crowd laugh doesn't necessarily make a pain crowd laugh. Yeah. Right. like at a normal show yeah like you're like oh i'm really edgy and then you do it in front of like you know a saturday early show and they're like that's inappropriate <laughs> i just got done having dinner i don't yeah. want to hear and then you're like oh that kills at the open mic and it almost got to be like if it went well at the open mic it was like well i'm not gonna do that at a paid show yeah that's <laughs> that's one of the pitfalls of doing a lot of open mics is that you do start playing to the other comedians that are at the open mic and 
they love the edgy stuff and right because that's the way they think and yeah i i had to um because i'm i'm squeaky clean and um i had to um i tried to get edgy and my i just don't i don't have the looks for it and i don't have and i'm too old and even though i've got edgy you talked about stanhope i've got you know I've got those Stan Hope thoughts in my brain and stuff like that, but I can't, I can't pull it off. I tried and it was just like, no, it, it doesn't work. It definitely, um, people can see through like they, like they know, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. people, people know if you're being true to yourself up there, yeah. unless you're like an amazing actor or something. But yeah. I mean, if you're just, you're every, you know, they comic like they can tell if you know. I there's nothing I hate more than when non well, and it's changed a lot since they've legalized it. But I hated when non obvious non drug users would do drug jokes, yeah, or like right. pot jokes about. And it's like, well, you aren't even you don't even smoke pot. Like, leave those to people. <laughs> leave those yeah. to the pot. <laughs> Like it was like they were trying to make themselves look cool or when they weren't cool or, you know, the guy right. is up there talking about banging chicks. And it's like, dude, you haven't banged anyone. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like you, uh, you aren't being honest right now, but when people are like, Hey, I suck. And I live in my parents' attic and I drive a beat up fucking car. And they're like, I believe that. Yep. Like looking at you, like I, I, every, I believe you to be a true person now. And now all your jokes about that, I'm going to go along with. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you get these guys up there and they're like, Hey, I'm a ladies man. And you're like, no, you aren't. And now everything you're going to try to sell, I'm not buying. Yeah. <laughs> so when did it start clicking for you? Obviously, you know, sucking is, part of it you you have to suck for a while or you start off being okay and then you go into complete suck and then you have to come out of it when did it start clicking for you i don't know <laughs> i <laughs> like i i don't i'm sorry i i would say i got once i started getting the mc then like I was friends with the guy who booked the MC. I became friends with the guy who booked the MCs. Uh -huh. And Crackers, where I started, had two clubs. So he would book me like twice a month to MC, like at what, the downtown club once and then the Broad Ripple club once. Mm -hmm. Plus, I was open miking. So I was getting, and back then it was like Wednesday through Sunday. Mm -hmm. So I was getting like seven seven shows a week twice a twice a month like wow. i'm just getting up 14 times at 15 minutes a time yeah and, that's nice oh yeah i mean you just grow so much quicker because it's all about stage time and yeah. now not only that you aren't in front of an open mic crowd you're in front of like a real comedy crowd mm. that isn't necessarily like want the mc to be edgy or make them think about life or mm. you know all that shit so it was really weird like i emceed and i did good for like the first week and then the next week i emceed i like ate a dick the whole week yeah. it was like 
<laughs> what is happening? But it was like, I think I just had natural energy the first week because I was so excited uh-huh. about it. And then the second week, I just didn't. Oh, no. I realized like some of those jokes weren't going to work for an opening spot. Mm. And then once I got to do that. Um, oh, <laughs> um, like once I started emceeing which took me like five years and like all these people would start after me and like, they would be, I'd be like, they're getting a fucking MC. Like I've been doing this. I've been at this club every Tuesday for, you know, three years, give or take. And like back then I didn't have a car. Like I was like, I'd ride my bike up there. Like (laughs) I'd get there early to sign up like two hours early for the alternate list. And Uh then they'd be like, Oh, we aren't taking any alternates tonight. It's like you, I drove, (laughs) you know, So, like, I had put my time in, and then once I started emceeing, I think, like, six, less than a year later, I got a call to open next door to the club at, like, a rock venue for Jamie Kennedy. Uh Uh-huh. From the owner, from the lady who owns Crackers, Ruth Ann. She called me, and she was like, hey, there's an opportunity to open for Jamie Kennedy. You got to do 20 minutes. It's two shows. It pays like 150 bucks. Mm-hmm. I was like, cool. So I go and I do the opening show that night and there's hardly anyone there. Like it was, it, I, I did okay. It mm-hmm. went fine, but it's like a rock club, you know, yeah. with like a balcony. Yeah. Well, then like the 10 o'clock show was like, sold out and he had like a bunch of strippers and uh you know people back in the green room just doing (laughs) whippets and partying and he goes hey man go out there and do like 45 minutes and i go what and he goes yeah man i want to party for a little while i'm not ready to go out there yet so like and i go dude i don't have 45 minutes Mm -hmm. like i he goes Go out there and do every joke you fucking have before you bring me out. And I go, okay, cool. So I went out and I think I did like 35 minutes. And then I brought him out and the, and I did great. I did Uh great because it was a sold out show and these people were there to party. And it was like, I had, I did. It was like a T-ball. You know what I mean? Like, it was just served up to me on, like, a a golden platter. Like, there was no losing that night. Those people had paid a lot of money. They were there to have fun. They thought I was someone because I was opening for Jamie Kennedy. Like, they didn't realize I was just some, (laughs) like, local douchebag who just happened to be, you know, friends with the next-door comedy club's owner who gave me... (laughs) So I come off stage, and the owner, like, comes up to me, and she goes... Like, you did 38 minutes. And Uh I go, no, he told me to. Like, I thought I was in trouble. Uh Like, no, he told me to. He he didn't want to come out yet. He told me to do go over my time. And she goes, I didn't know you had that much time. (laughs) Like, they loved you. And it was like, I was still new enough. I didn't under, like, I was like, yeah, I did great. And now (laughs) I know that, like, no, like, anyone was going to do great in that spot. Yeah. Like it, I just happened to be lucky enough to have that spot. And then she's like, how do you want to, how would you like to feature next week for Jamie Foxx? And I was like, oh my gosh, that'd be fucking awesome. So I got my first feature week and I was like, 
you know, feeling really good about myself and like feeling like I finally got it down. And not until like a year and a half later did I realize like, oh no, they put the shittiest comic with the best headliner because they don't need a good. Yeah. <laughs> like it doesn't matter if the MC bombs for 15 minutes and then the feature bombs for a half an hour. Cause everyone's there to see Jamie fucking Fo or not Jamie Fox. Did I say Jamie Fox? It wasn't Jamie Fox. It was fucking Aries Spears. Oh, that's very that's very close. He, he does he does Jamie Fox. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> I was picturing. Okay, I was picturing Aries Spears doing Jamie Fox. Yeah, it wasn't fucking Jamie Fox. That would have been fucking awesome. Yeah, it was Aries Spears, and he was Aries Spears. You know how Aries Spears is. I've and, heard uh, I've heard some stories. He was fine. He yeah. never said a word to me the whole yeah. week. Like he never even was like, what's up? Yeah. Like he just yeah. never talked to me ever, <laughs> but it was fine. I had fun. I did good. Yeah. I did well, I guess that's the right. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, and that's when I started getting like, like once I started getting a feature and, and I was getting to still MC while I was featuring mm -hmm. and then other comics would see me and, um, I would get, I got really lucky to have like Jimmy Pardo. Mm -hmm. take me to open for a few shows for him and i got to just open for some really cool like uh locally this guy named dave dugan started to have me opening for him a lot uh scott long had me start going on the road with him mm -hmm. and i just started having a lot of comics take me on the road or or call me if they were working in the midwest to open for them mm -hmm. like like not necessarily take me on the road but like hey i'm gonna be an hour and a half away do you want to drive over there and open for me kind of thing yeah and so then once that started happening i started feeling better and getting you know the more stage time you have it's all about stage time yeah the more was, you get the better you're gonna be yeah no doubt was the goal still to uh write for others were you were you did you feel like you were putting in your time so you could write for other people yeah i started um I started, I would say probably I sold like my first hour of jokes to just local guys who wanted to like go up quicker uh -huh. and they'd be anytime somebody was like, Hey, I like that joke. I'd be like, I'll, I'll sell it to you. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, um, I've had jokes on last comic standing. I've had jokes on live at Gotham. I've had jokes on, uh, all the late night talk shows pretty much i think all of them except for nothing lately i haven't sold a lot lately but back mm -hmm. when i was younger and opening for a lot of people working at the club i sold a lot of jokes to people mm -hmm. anytime anytime a headliner goes i like that joke i'd be like i'll sell it to you yeah <laughs> that's great so how and no it's not great i wish i had all of those jokes back i yeah. never should have sold any of them yeah it was stupid <laughs> but i need to keep my lights on like, yeah there were times when you know some people locally got mad at me because i sold uh jokes to people they considered were shitty and deserving comics uh -huh. but it was like hey man i needed a light bill paid and they had 350 dollars they were gonna give me for 30 words i wrote down yeah. i'm gonna <laughs> I, you know, I got a kid right now. Uh, he doesn't yeah. give a shit about, uh, you know, principal 
or <laughs> any of that stuff when it comes to me selling a joke to somebody who's not des- what they consider not deserving yeah. of those jokes. He just wants some Legos and and yeah, no, he just wants our he yeah, he just wants our power to not get turned. Like yeah. I'm not even joking. Like there were times, you know, like a week gets canceled on you, and it's yeah. like, oh well, that's how I was going to pay for Christmas. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then you're like, you know, some sleazebag comics like i'll give you a couple hundred dollars for that joke and you're like okay cool i need to give my kid a christmas this winter you know i'm or you know in two weeks and they're i'm not making any money in between now and then Uh so yeah here's here's the joke and uh i'll take that in cash yeah (laughs) could you do jokes that other people wrote oh yeah yeah i would if somebody gave me um like on my Bob and Tom bit, um, where I do uh, fail to mention, mm-hmm. I, uh, people write jokes for me on that. Okay. Or they'll they'll give me jokes and mm-hmm. yeah, I usually uh, I don't know reword them to my own voice a little bit, mm-hmm. but sometimes I just read them word for word. Like yeah, I'll just uh, and the worst part is when uh, people are like, oh my god, that was the best. I love that joke. And you're like, yeah, I didn't write that one. That was Josh Arnold. Um, and they're like, oh, well, okay, cool. Um, but I also write for different characters on the show. And so, like, you know, there's times when people are like, oh, did you write that? And it's like, yeah. And they're like, that was great. Or, but most of the time they're like, oh, like once a year, one person will give me a compliment and he'll be like, Oh, I loved how this came out. And I was like, yeah, that's the one I didn't write. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, <laughs> and then they don't compliment me again for a year. And then it's on something I didn't write again. Yeah. So it's always, you know, apparently my taste is not their taste. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Bob and Tom because my history with them is I lived in, uh, indie in the it was early mid 80s and uh that's before they were syndicated and right they, they used to have gunner on sometimes and oh, it, I used to love gunner yeah i get I, to i actually get to talk to gunner like once or twice a week do you and it's cool. like it's like a childhood like highlight yeah you know no what doubt. i mean kind of like yeah doing bob and tom i mean I, how old are you uh 50 57 okay yeah. Like, you know, my dad, we used to listen to Bob and Tom when he would drive us to school every morning. Yeah. And I always, you know, that was, they were the biggest thing in Indianapolis oh, yeah. ever for the longest time. Yeah. Um, especially during the eighties and like early nineties. Yeah. They were huge um, in Indianapolis. Like it was like, Ooh, if one day I could ever even get to meet them or whatever. Yeah. You know, they were like celebrity celebrities yeah. for being DJs. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I uh, I managed the, I, I lived on the east side represent, and um, the uh, Washington Square Mall, there was a Farrell's restaurant in there, and I managed that because I had managed one in South Bend, and they closed it, so I moved down to Indy to manage that one. And there was a bank right beside me. I don't remember what it was. I don't remember what it was called, but they opened at like eight or nine and we didn't open until 1030, but I'd be in there and I'd be playing Bob and Tom on the PA system 
uh, and really loud. And I'd always get complaints from them because I was listening to Bob and Tom. But that's when they were doing like the Dick Dick Nixon and Haji and oh yeah and Jay Baker yeah and Mark Munch and yeah it was I yeah. absolutely loved it. And then I totally fell out of touch with them. And uh, my wife would always because they were syndicated uh, in uh, South Bend where we lived and she would always listen to them, but I never, I never turned my radio on because I was always listening to podcasts and comedy albums and stuff like that anyway. So, um, I totally lost touch with them. And then I found you, I, somehow we became friends on Facebook and you posted one of the, uh, failed to mention news things. And I just fell in love and it's become every time I see one now, it's what I show my wife before we go to bed it's like meditation for us so that we feel better about going to bed and what oh my I, gosh that's awesome yeah and what i have to say about it is it's it's okay to listen to it but you really really need to watch it because you have this expression on your face that i I, I tried to narrow it down it's like somebody who is showing up for a job interview for a job that they don't want um, and a little bit scared and just a little bit like, I don't want to be here, but I kind of do want to be here. It, it, it's really, yeah, that's and, a good, uh, that's how I actually feel. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I just absolutely love it. And, and the neat thing is, is I mean, when you bomb, when, when, uh, Christy doesn't laugh or Tom just looks down at his, uh, at his, uh, paper or whatever. Oh yeah. Um, you, you, you always just, uh, hit the button, you know? <laughs> Failed to yeah. mention news. <laughs> yeah, I uh, there's so many outs. Yeah, like I'm very lucky that I can just you know hit a button or just just start talking again. Yeah, or just get up and walk out. Like yeah, it's. Uh, but I definitely when I uh, when I first started doing it, I uh, I just wanted it to be. Uh, I don't know. You know I. I grew up loving like Norm and Letterman mm. and uh, Dennis Miller and all the, you know, all the news desk guys. Like I even like Seth Meyers news. Like there's a lot of uh, different news type. I don't know. People. I just, I like the more, uh, I don't know, just unique kind of, uh, people even you know just hey this is a joke i don't care if you like it or not yeah it's, like this it, is yeah this it's is dry giving you. Yeah, yeah it's it's a little more dry um you don't have to you don't have to emote you don't have to do a whole lot you just read the joke and uh and, and i like what you do with it because you don't have to emote but you do um and it's very subtle you know at, at the end of the joke you're like eh, was that funny <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'll be honest. I uh, it wasn't even my idea, like the whole concept of doing it. Like I started working there. I've written for the show for like ten years, but I started working in the studio doing their video, like running their switchers and mm -hmm. um, making the videos and putting together the TV show. 
like around three years ago. And when I started, Tom, I, I write a lot for Tom. And Tom was always like, you know, I'd love to get you a segment like, you know, Kostaki or like uh, Reno or Allie or. And I was, you know, I would pitch an idea to him and he wouldn't like it. And he would pitch an idea to me. And I'm like, no, I don't like that. And uh, for like three years, this has gone on. Uh And, you know, it would be. You know, we it would get dropped for six months, and then you know I'd see him in the hallways like, "What do you have for like? We gotta get you on. What do you have?" And I'm like, "I got nothing. I don't know what to do." And then Josh Arnold came up to me one day and was like, "Hey, what if you uh, what if you did a segment like called like failed to mention news?" And you know you. Uh, and he explained it to me, and I go, "I don't." I get it, but I don't like, and uh-huh. he goes, well, here, I'll write some and I'll send them to you. Mm-hmm. So he wrote them. And I was like, Oh, I get it. Yeah. I totally get it. <laughs> and so, um, which immediately when I read the three, he sent me, like I wrote like five more immediately. Mm-hmm. Like it was one of those like super inspirational things. And then, um, I was supposed to do it as a call in but I've run the video department there and I'm like, well, I, I do the, and I was really afraid. Like if you screw up, like Tom will ridicule you. Yeah. And I was really afraid of screwing up. So I ordered this gigantic map off of uh, <laughs> Amazon and I decided what I was going to do. Cause we have a gigantic TV in the studio. I was going to record it in my house mm-hmm. then play it for them during the show. Yeah. So I tried record. I tried that, and I made the recordings, and it looked stupid as shit. And I knew they were going to ridicule me even more. And so, um, I'm like, okay, I'm going to bring it into this empty office. And luckily, Eddie, uh, the this engineer, he got it all set up, all the cameras set up, and the soundboard, and put all the sound. You know, what do you want on the soundboard? And got it all. And. Uh, so we were supposed to do it one Monday and they're like, all right, we're going to do it at nine 20. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not ready. <laughs> and then like that Tuesday, Josh came in and he goes, are you going to do it today? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do it today. And then like some stuff came up they're like, Hey, we're going to have to bump you till tomorrow. I was like, awesome. <laughs> and, uh, cause I was just super, super worried, you know, like the introducing a whole new segment and the way I was going to introduce it and, the character I was going to be, which is me, but just exaggerated kind uh-huh. of thing. And uh, I didn't know how it was going to go. So like Thursday, I had put it off for like four days and Josh came in and goes, Hey, if you don't do this, I'm going to take it back and I'm just going to do it myself. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'll do it today. And I did it that day. And it, it worked way like they were all so nice to me. Like yeah. it was horrible, but they gave me, you know, they're, they're they're trying to help me out you know they're they gave me some uh undeserved undeserved laughs and uh (laughs) and uh tom got really upset because he thought like like afterwards he came up he goes hey you you need to have them move that sound bar closer to you and i'm like "Uh, okay and 
whatever because <laughs> i because there was a delay because i would go like this uh-huh. and that was bothering him but like so then like two weeks goes by and he goes man you can't figure out that soundboard can you <laughs> like you're always talking over it and it's like you can't get it timed right and then maybe a month later he called me and he goes hey you're doing that on purpose aren't you <laughs> and i was like i go yeah i'm doing that on purpose i i like even when I'm not doing it on purpose, I'm doing it on. You know what I mean? Like yeah. sometimes I just slip up, and it still works because it's. <laughs> yeah, yes, I'm I'm doing that on purpose. Uh, but and and he just cackled. He's like, "Oh, I I totally thought you just didn't know what you were doing in there uh-huh. because I'm in a separate room in a separate part of the building. Yeah, like they can't see me. They can only see me on the TV. And he's like, "Yeah, I thought you totally just didn't know what you were doing." <laughs> And I was like, no, I, I I don't know what I'm doing, but I knew what I was doing there. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, he kept on, he goes, I'll talk to Eddie and see if he can move that thing closer to you. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I, I, it's where it's supposed to be. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, seeing, seeing you reach over for the button is part of the charm. Well, thank you. Yeah. That, yeah, you get it. Yeah. <laughs> Some people just think I'm really bad at my job. Yeah. So that's that's even funnier to me. Yeah. Yeah. I I I, I guess I get it. I so you you at least got one fan that gets it. So there you go. Thanks. So um backing up, how did the whole Bob and Tom gig start for you? Because you're you're actually um helping me complete my set of Bob and Tom writers. Cause I had Terhune, I had uh, Dwight Simmons. I had somebody else that writes for Bob and Tom. I don't remember, but yeah, you're helping. I'm just uh, building a set of Bob and Tom writers. Nice. So how did that happen for you? For me, it happened. Uh, the, the guy, Chick Perrin, the guy on the comedy clubs, yeah. uh, he called me one night. And I was, I had been doing it for quite a few years. And uh, he was like, Hey, you should write for Bob and Tom. And I go, okay, uh, that'd be awesome. And yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I'd be like, call it, you know, your mom, you should write for the tonight show. Yeah, It's like, yeah, I would love to <laughs> like, that's just not that easy. And I go, yeah, I don't know how to make that happen. And he goes, I'll make it happen. Like I, I'm who, you know, he basically was the guy who started bringing all the comics to Bob and Tom Mm -hmm. back in the eighties and kind of helped them build their name brand. Mm -hmm. He's like, Tom owes me. (laughs) He calls me back and he goes, here, here's Tom's number. He said to call him and he'll, uh, he'll talk to you. Wow. And so I called him like right away and he goes, Hey, I'm in the middle of doing an album. Call me back in like three months. Uh-huh. And so I like called him back in three months and he's like, I'm in the middle of, uh, having a baby. Um, <laughs> call me back, call me back in like six months. <laughs> and so I called him back in six months. He goes, yeah, call me back in like four months. And I, and every time I would like mark it on my calendar yeah. and like call back. Exa- and so one day I'm sitting there with my baby and it was like, 
three weeks old and I get a call from an unknown number and it was him and he goes, Hey, I had a dinner meeting fallout. Can you meet me in 45 minutes? And I'm like, wow. Uh, Oh, I have a baby and my wife's not here. Like I had to leave the baby with the family next door. I'm like, <laughs> I have this opportunity. I gotta go. <laughs> and, uh, so I went and met with him and he's like, yeah, like if you have, uh, if you have any, what do you, how do you phrase it? If you have any, uh, basically if you don't like if you get your feelings hurt easily you aren't gonna want to do this because yeah. you're gonna hear you're gonna hear no way more than you hear yes mm. it's almost like a lauren michaels saturday night live thing yeah and yeah. and uh most people think they can handle it and most people can't right yeah most people have way too much pride or just aren't going to hear no and i'm like oh heard no my whole goddamn life i'm fine <laughs> so um he goes yeah start sending me jokes and i was like cool how for what how like what do you want me to like just write you random joke like yeah whatever just send him <laughs> i'm just like oh i don't get it so um i just started finding like news stories in the news and i would like send him the news story with like three or four jokes to go with it. Uh -huh. And I was reading back on some, Oh my God. I don't know why he kept me on. Oh, they were horrible. Yeah. Like they, they weren't jokes. Yeah. They weren't even jokes. They were just like, well, that seems like a bunch of bull crap. <laughs> you know, like it was like people's, it was my opinion on the news story. Like it wasn't yeah. even a punchline. It was just like, there was no puns. Like, yeah. Like, like that's the thing. Like it wasn't like you know a cow got killed. Uh, oh well, that's a bunch of bull crap. It was just like <laughs> oh a semi turns over and you know kills three kids. I'm like, well, that's a bunch of bull crap. Like <laughs> I don't know. Like they weren't even fucking jokes. Uh, oh, sorry that I cursed. I should have asked first. No, it's um, it, it's fine. I swearing is uh, encouraged on this. Uh, I um. Uh, I kind of, I've kind of, after hearing Tom for so many years, uh, even though I took a hiatus um, for like, I don't know, 25 years or so, he, he really likes obscure news stories and he likes medical stuff. Uh, any, anything, yeah. <laughs> anything medical, if, uh, if somebody's dying of some, some, something unusual, that seems to be something that he'd definitely bite on. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and through the years, luckily, like now I, now I just get sent all the news stories and I just have to write jokes. For, like I don't uh -huh. have to do any curating of my own, but back then I would have to find my own news stories. Mm. And then, but now, uh, Sam and, uh, his son, Sam and, uh, Pauline Schiffla, they, uh, they do all the news curation and mm. then just send all the writers to stories. So we just have to write the jokes. We mm. don't have to like be spend. I mean, there were some nights, especially like Thursday nights really sucked to find news for Friday morning. Mm. Uh, Sunday night was always packed because a bunch of shit happened over the weekend. Yeah. Uh, but by Thursday, it, like finding, you know, five news stories to write, four or five jokes for would make like that weren't 
that's the problem like already funny news stories aren't good to write jokes for mm-hmm. like right it's almost like the i don't know it's like well the funny is already in the news story mm-hmm. how do you shift uh well let's let's back up um i've got some ideas as to how you write uh, and i want to confirm them how do, how do you write your personal material like the actual what, like writing of do it you ha- do you have like a process or uh, how do you do it um i pretty much uh get out a big uh 500 sheets of uh plain white paper mm-hmm. and my favorite pens and sit down and just write write i mean uh and then uh try to uh whittle it like i free write at first and then Mm -hmm. i whittle it down after and then um for like when i write for like my calling characters that i write for i that's all done like just scouring the internet and then writing on a computer which is i find harder to write jokes typing them on a computer than I do handwriting them all, but it gets really time consuming to mm. handwrite the hand, especially like, you know, I, there's a couple characters who I have to write a script a day for. And so to handwrite it and then to go back and type it, it's mm. like, you know, an hour and a half. Whereas if I just type it straight in and then edit on screen, then it's like an hour. Yeah. But that's, I don't like I if it was up to me and I had plenty of time to do shit, I would handwrite everything and then type it out and edit while I type. Uh-huh. Uh, but as far as my jokes, I don't know. I feel like something has to hit me. Like I don't I used to force write when I was early on, but now I write at least two jokes for 20 news stories every morning and then write a script or two. I write my fail to mention. And then I write for like Larry King or like a Dick hits water mm-hmm. or maybe one of the other calling characters every week. And so my personal standup writings very like way low compared yeah. to what it used to be. It's uh, funny. You got it. It shows. It shows. Yeah. Well, you got to, you got to make tough decisions and do what actually pays the bills. And, right. and I, I'm kind of doing that now because uh, the podcast pays a lot more bills than comedy does for me. So I, <laughs> I, I'm putting a lot more effort into yeah, it. Yeah. Focus on what, what brings in the money. Yeah. And um, I, it's funny because I, when I was up in South Bend, I, my, joke writing was very um, much, if I didn't have a complete joke written out exactly the way I wanted to do it, I would never do the joke. And right. so I've, I've changed when we moved down here. I mean, everything in my life was just fucked up. We, you know, we couldn't find a house. We, uh, I was staying oh, with I was my... following it on your Facebook. Yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, everything, everything was just, it, no, nothing went right. And, um, I was in a new comedy scene. So I said, you know, I'm going to, I have to switch things up and 
I would just write premises down and I'd go on stage and uh, work off the premise. I, I didn't write anything out. And the, and the funny thing is, is I think I came up with better stuff that way uh, because yeah. it was more natural. I can see that. Yeah. So that's what I do now. I just, I, I have my phone out. Uh, I get a premise. I put it in the same note and I look at it and I'm like, okay, I'm going to work off of that one. And I, I feel pretty good about doing it that way now. I hadn't done a show in, I don't know, 15 months or whatever. And then I went to do an outdoor show and I had in my head that like, oh, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about these three or four things. Mm. And dude, I ate such a dick. And then um, closed on two old jokes of mine. Yeah. Like, because I didn't want them to think I totally sucked. Yeah. But, well, I do the same. That's the, yeah. That's the other weird thing is, I don't know. I think when you play your own town too much, like, you start, you're like, oh, I'm not creating enough or whatever. But then it's like, I don't know. No one knows who the fuck I am. Like, I go to a different town. Like, they don't give a shit if the joke I'm telling them is 15 years old or 15 minutes old. All they give shit about is if it's funny Mm -hmm. and they haven't heard it before. Right. Which most people haven't heard any of my jokes before because nobody knows. You know what I mean? So I feel like a lot of comics put a bunch of pressure on themselves to like, Oh, I got to keep on writing new shit. And it's like, no, you, you could also work on perfecting the shit you already have. Right. Yeah. And taking out unnecessary and yeah, you want it when you go to the open mic every week, you want the local people to think like, oh, he's trying new shit. You know, he's not the same, which I get that. But for the most part, I don't know if I'm trying a new joke. I go, I try it in the middle of a 45 minute set. Mm. I'm not going to go and try it. I'm not going to go to, <laughs> I don't know. I've gotten so, I mean, I've been doing it 18 years. I don't yeah. want to go sit at a coffee shop. For three hours to get three minutes on a Tuesday night, I want to be at home with my family. Yeah, yeah. And I have to be up at four in the morning to go do a job in comedy. Yeah. So yeah. sometimes I get, I get down on my like I don't go out as much and work the material as much as I need to. But at, then at some point you're like, wait, I I put twelve years of doing it every night. And yeah. Like now I need, you know, I also want to have a healthy family life. Now, right not just, and you're doing you're doing what you originally set out to right. do so exactly you know, y- your your means to an end actually happened the way you wanted it to so right you know and now so I'll many probably be back to landscaping again in five years but yeah. for now i'm living the dream baby yeah <laughs> so many people i've talked to and i've talked to a lot of the old dogs that were originals at the comedy store and they did their gig of uh, comedy for a few years and then they ended up writing for like TV and movies and stuff like that. And they never looked back because it, it paid the bills and it made them happy. And, and well, and, and, and like you said, like I said, you don't have to go out until three o'clock in the morning every night and perform for nine drunk people who don't want to, who don't give a shit that you're there. Like, it's like I'd rather just go do paid gigs and go play some casinos. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Or you know, I I honestly I don't actively very much look for work. I just uh, luckily people would be like, oh hey, we'd love to. Okay, cool, I'd love to come yeah. and do it. But 
I, I like, I never want, I don't want that pressure. Like I don't want to yeah. be the headliner and then like 12 people show up and, mm. the, and I know the club just lost and all those waitresses and waiters, mm -hmm. they all just didn't get make shit tonight. And it's yeah. my fault. Yeah. Like, I don't want that pressure. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Like I like being a feature act and doing my 30 minutes and no one remembering my name after the show. Yeah. Just yeah. Being like, Oh, I thought you were funnier. What's my name? I don't know. Cool. Have a good one, man. Like it doesn't. I'm gonna go get my picture taken with the famous guy now. Yeah. I get it. Have a good time. Thank you. Um, one question. Uh, one last question. I like to ask everybody: What's the best and worst comedy advice that you got when you were coming up? Hmm. Ooh, I wish I would have had time. Now I'm, whatever I say, I'm going to like, as soon as we get off, I'm going to be like, oh, I have a better one. I need, uh, I, I need to tell everybody I asked this question. That's what I should do. So, okay. Uh, so one of the reasons I, uh, this is so long, but I'm going to try to shorten <laughs> it. I know you only have so much time. Um, oh, I've got time. I've got another interview, but it's an hour from now. So I'm good. So I went to this club called one liners in Indianapolis who was owned by Dave Wilson, uh, with chick and Patty Perrin, the people who got me into stand up. Mm. or actually, you know what, before I got in stand up, they go, Hey, you got to see this comedian. His name's Jimmy Pardo. Mm. And I was like, all right, cool. I had never been to a stand up show live before mm -hmm. i watched it on tv all the time but i'd never gone to a comedy club before that was the first time i ever walked in a comedy club and before the show we go back they meet jimmy he introduces they introduce him to me and uh i have no idea who he is what to expect and so he gets up there and he oh my gosh i mean i'm in tears mm -hmm. and he can see me from the stage and he's like uh what are you doing at the uh old point tavern over there <laughs> and like starts talking to me from stage and like mm -hmm. it's being super funny and i'm crying laughing and uh hey, hey what, what do you got in that thing uh chicken uh you probably <laughs> got the chicken in there right uh what, what and then some sort of salad uh salad dressing uh maybe a mayonnaise based product uh <laughs> And I'm just in tears, like, oh, my God, the comedian's talking to me. I'm like, <laughs> like uh, so then afterwards, you know, I go up. I'm like, oh, you were great. And so Chick and Patty are like, all right, well, we're taking off. And I try to, like, joke with him. Uh -huh. And he goes, yeah, we aren't going to do that. And uh, <laughs> it was nice to meet you. And he, like, turned around and walked away. And because uh, I was like, what about that chick parent? He's a real fucking dickhead, right? And he goes, no, he's a great guy. And I go, he's kind of a dick, right? And he goes, no, he's a great guy. <laughs> he goes, yeah, we are going to do this right now. It was nice meeting him. And, uh, so then, then I decide, okay, I'm doing stand-up comedy. I'm going to try this. Like, mm -hmm. this, is, this is awesome. I've always wanted to try it. You're 30 years old. Quit giving a shit what people think about you. Like, just go. And so I wrote... Like, that's when I went down and I told uh, Chick I was going to do it. And he's like, you're going to suck. You're going to write your own shit. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so what I didn't tell him was I had also emailed Jimmy Pardo. Uh -huh. Like, I went to Jimmy Pardo's website and I emailed him. I was like, hey, I'm thinking about doing, having no idea that, like, 
comics get this shit all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, I'm thinking about doing stand-up comedy. Uh, what should I do or not? And so I write him. I go, hey, I met you through Chick Parent. I'm like, oh, this is my end. Yeah. Like, he's going to feel like he has to. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, I met you through Chick Parent. And um, I want to do stand-up comedy. What, you know, do you have any pointers? What should I do? What should um and i didn't hear back i didn't hear back for like and in the meantime i'd start doing stand-up comedy mm -hmm. like i had started going to open mics and just sucking and sucking and sucking and sucking and uh but sucking so bad that i was like no i'm gonna do this till i don't suck mm -hmm. like yeah. this is i i have to save some fucking face here i have to <laughs> learn this like i can't be this bad so then like maybe four months later out of nowhere i get an email back from him and it's like two pages long and oh, it's wow. like hey yeah i remember you blah 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 first of all uh it's all about getting on stage you need to get on stage as many times as possible uh you know you're gonna have to get on stage a thousand times and you're gonna suck and it's okay to suck and um and there's going to be clicks at where you go and, and you aren't going to be the cool one. And you, you're going to fuck those guys. Like mm -hmm. you just do focus on your shit. Don't get involved in the local scene politics. Don't get just, just work on being funny. Anytime you, anytime you, you know, you're thinking about, well, this guy's doing that. You should be writing a joke. You mm -hmm. should be work. Don't worry about what anyone else is doing. It, it, anytime you start thinking about another comic, start thinking about your act and do your work on what you need to work on. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about any, anyone else and just get on stage every chance you can get. Yeah. And some other shit, but that was, so that was the best advice was that, Hey, you are going to suck. So I was like, Oh, okay. Well, I feel better about sucking. Mm -hmm. um, you won't always suck if you continue to get on stage. And it was like, okay, well I'm, I'm going to keep on doing this until, um until i finally uh figure out how to not suck yeah <laughs> and then you know a few years later i got to mc for him and uh i came before before the show i'd go in i was like hey i'm jeff house okay. i don't know if you remember me i wrote you a letter and he goes yeah don't ever fucking do that to a comic like that's <laughs> that's don't ever do that again and i go i won't and then uh so I go out and I do I do my little act or whatever, and he's sitting over on the side, like on this upper level in the back of Crackers, and I come off stage. I'd had what I thought was the best set I'd ever had, and uh -huh. I was like, "Oh, Jimmy Pardo just told me have the best set I fucking ever." Mm. And so I walk. He I he's got his arms folded and uh, he's he's got his legs crossed and uh, he's not looking at me. He's like looking at the stage and. Uh, the feature acts up and i'm walking and uh he's not looking at me and then all of a sudden like i get my and he he does one of like the finger like step over here uh -huh. and so i lean down and he leans in and he just goes off not my cup of tea <laughs> and just <laughs> leans back and i had the smile of a lifetime and i was like i made it baby i made it life is good <laughs> oh that's great so do you have a worst did somebody give you some really bad advice that you took 
uh, I don't know. Um, I don't know if anyone, no one, I don't feel like anyone gave me, um, people, you know, people tried to give me advice, you know, like, uh, how to MC better and shit, mm-hmm. which I didn't take and I suck at MCing. <laughs> um, but I don't, I don't know. No one, I mean, I've made a bunch of mistakes, you know what I mean? But not, those were all on my own. Mm. Like no one, no no one, those were all my own great ideas to, you know, (laughs) cuss out club owners or, uh, you know, (laughs) fucking sell jokes to douchebags and whatever. I mean, those are my own faults. Then I live with them. No one, no one gave me any bad. I mean, uh, there were so many great people. I mean, I've worked with, I've gotten to work with so many, I've gotten so lucky to work with like so many awesome, like big names and uh, mm-hmm. like, and, and uh, like Carlos Azaraki, like I came off stage and he would like keep track of all your jokes and tell you how to make them better. Oh, wow. Like, he'd be like, Oh, you know, you should take this, you should rephrase this sentence this way. And then like, you would try it the next set and he'd mm-hmm. be like, Oh yeah, now try this. And you'd try it the next set. Like, what headliner does that for like an MC? Yeah. You know what I mean? To yeah. like help you get better. And, you know, um, so many comics have just been, you know, very like, hey, uh, that one joke you have, if you tagged it with that, or if you, I would leave this out because that's not believable. But if you changed it to this way, so it's like you're thinking about it and you didn't actually do it, mm-hmm. just little kind of tweaks that yeah. really helped a joke or helped me figure it out. Mm. Um, I've gotten super lucky to have people just give me little things like that. Yeah, um, I love tags. If somebody gives me a tag, I, I've got a couple that I that I've used, and it just it made the joke, you know, a hundred percent better just because of one little tag. Oh, especially if it's uh, somebody who you like totally respect and yeah. you're like, oh my God, they, they care enough to like help me out on my shit. Of course, yeah. I'm going to try that shit. Yeah. Why you always have like the old heads who come up and go, I got the perfect tag for you. You should be like, yeah, my balls. Like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm not going to use that. But thanks for, thanks for, now I see why you've never emceed and you've been doing comedy 25 years. Yeah. Like, I, uh, I'm not going to take advice from you. But uh, yeah, that I would say that's the bad advice I get is yeah. like from older comics who you have like way exceeded where they ever got, yeah. and yet they still like see what you're doing wrong. And it's like, <laughs> I got that. Like, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I'm okay. I'm okay for now. You're not talking about blowjobs enough. Come on, yeah. you gotta put that in everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, you should do like a sucking motion yeah. when you're talking about her blowing you in the back of the Chevy. <laughs> That way they can see it in the back of the room. You want to be really, you want to make yeah. big motions. You're up on stage. They want to <laughs> be able to see you from all points. Uh, talk about how stupid kids are today when your audience is all 22 year olds. Uh, well, that's, I mean, that's, that's where I'm at now is now that I'm old and I talk about my kids and I do, I do like a younger crowd and they're like, don't give a shit about your kids. Yep. Don't have them. Don't want them. Yep. Not having them anytime soon. I'm yep. just like, Oh, I better talk about something else. Yeah. They are not giving a shit about my kids. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, and I get it. Like I wouldn't either at their age. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. I've actually, um, 
I learned early on that I sprinkle young language into my uh, act a lot. And like I refer to my wife um, in the same set as my bae, my boo, and my shorty and, and the, whole, <laughs> the whole way. And I do it totally deadpan and like it's totally unironic and stuff like that. And that pulls the young people in and they're okay with the fact that I like to watch Project Runway with her. So, you know, it's, right. it's, it, it, <laughs> so, so, you know, it, it, it uh, leans them in. And then the people my age are like, uh, that takes them out a little bit because I don't know what any of it means, but the rest of the meat of the joke they get. So I've been right. experimenting with that and it works all right. Yeah, I like, uh, I like, um, oh, well, that was uh, speaking of the young kids. So at that show, I told you about with Terhune, and there were kids like four and up. Yeah. And <laughs> I was bombing so bad by the end, I kind of turned into Harlan Williams. And I was like, what about you, little buddy? You play the Minecraft over there doing the Roblox? What do you like to do there, friend? Hey, hey there, kid. What You're are you? You paint with your fingers? Do you like the chicken nuggets? What do you do over there, fella? And I'm like, what? And in my head, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, man? You are crowd-working toddlers. I was, I was bombing so bad that I just didn't know what to do. And I just, look at this guy. This old munchkin, he doesn't want me talking to him, do you, little fella? He just wants to go home. Just watch some Power Rangers. Is that even a thing anymore? Do you guys know the Power Rangers? I oh, I, it was horrible. I was horrible. Oh, like shit. my girlfriend afterwards was like, "Had I not seen you do other shows first, like I wouldn't be like I would have left." Yeah, it's like like it's it's painful for her to watch when that shit happens. Yeah. like she's like. She goes, it hurt, like, I'm watching you, and as bad as it hurts you, it hurts me worse yeah. to know that <laughs> I have my boyfriend's going through that. That's great. So um, where can people find you on the interwebs, Jeff? Uh, at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Jeff Oske, O-S-K-A-Y. Great. Um, and, and that's where... That's where I'm at. And every Friday on the Bob and Tom show doing failed dimension. And I usually post those on my YouTube channel under the same name and on Facebook every Friday night for those who want to watch. Yeah. It's, it's must see TV for me, even though it's only five or six minutes long. I, I'm not kidding when I say I absolutely love it. And well, thanks, and, man. And I'm always I'm glad someone appreciates the uh, subtleness. Yeah, of it. that's that's what I'm always looking for. I'm always looking for the the way the eyes look, the cold dead eyes at the beginning, and uh, and the way you you physically go over and push the button. I just I, I love it. It's it's all great. <laughs> You're far too kind. <laughs> Nope, nope, you deserve it. Well, thanks for being on the show, and uh, you know, I wish you the best because uh, you make me laugh, and I like that. Well, thank you. I very much appreciate you uh, having me on.